God's word says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death better than the day of birth. That's what I meant. You might question, what? It'll make sense. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, as usual, you bring us messages to hear that we might not plan to receive. But we know that you're our good Father. And we pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. We pray that you would put the spotlight on Jesus. We pray, God, that you would not just teach us new things, but that in our hearts you would stir us to new affections, to new desires, and to greater joys and satisfaction that can only be found in you. God, we need you to do this in our hearts, and so we plead with you. We know you want to do this, to open us to this truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may have heard of the story, I believe it was made into a movie called Get Low. And again, whenever I mention movies, it's not an endorsement. So disclaimer to protect me. But Get Low is this story about a Tennessee hermit who had lived all of his life in, in sort of exclusion out in the woods. And he decides that he wants to have his funeral before he dies. And so he comes out of the mountains with all of this money and he says, I want y'all to throw sort of a funeral party for me, but I'm going to be sitting here and hear everything you have to say about me. And we're going to encourage everyone to tell all the stories they've ever heard about me, but you're going to do it to my face. And it's a, it's a funny story at times and a sober story at times because we learn at this funeral party some things come out in this process that reveal that there was a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in his life that was never really exposed, that was never really ever dealt with, and yet the occasion of this funeral party brings all of this stuff out that in, a, that in an imperfect and yet healing sort of way is dealt with. Shortly even after this funeral party, he does die. And so it, it, it leads me to think when I, when I heard this story, saw this movie, of what would it be like if you got to go to your funeral? It kind of puts things into a different perspective. It kind of grounds us into what might be most important in our lives. When it comes to the decisions that we make, even in how we spend our money, our time, our talents, how we use our mental energy, where most of even our emotional despair gets worked up is that when we put it in the face of the end, it can have a huge impact. It leads us to ask questions like, what do you think it really looks like to finish life well? What are the markers? If you're new with us, sometimes we, we think out loud here together. So think, what, what does it look like to finish life well? What would you want to be said of you? 
Time? Good. What else? That helps other people. Represented Jesus well. I loved well. Was generous. Had integrity. Gave everything I had for Christ. We can take a few seconds here. It's a pretty important question. You might need to go home and think about it some more, but I'll hurry up at the end. I never get through half of what I plan. That's okay. Let's think. Any anything else? The end, you're laying there. Again, I'm not trying to depress everybody. It's the end, right? These are the words being spoken over you. What are, what are the main ones? You're like, this is what I want to be said. I was a good mom. I'm sure some of us have things you just don't want to speak out loud. If I was sitting out there, I probably wouldn't either. I'm not a vocal person, even though here I am. So, no condemnation. We all need to answer that question, though. We all need to answer it. And we all need to continually let the kingdom of Christ shape how we answer that question. And then you know what we need to do? We need to live our lives in that, in that pathway. In that pathway, we have big next steps. Our graduates have big next steps. But what we need to see is that even more important than the faithfulness that we are called to, that we want to be the banner of whatever it is hanging over our life. They loved people well. They were kind. They followed Jesus. They were authentic. They were helpful. Is that we just need to, even before we go forward in this sermon, we need to take a deep breath and realize that it's God's faithfulness that is more important than our own. We are going to fall. You're going to fail. Right? You're kind of kicked out of the nest when you're going to college, but after it, and as you get older, there's plenty more of these. You feel like, right? You ever seen the Discovery Channel or the Planet Earth? One of the best things is like those little birds getting kicked out of the nest. Right? And you know, it's like, I'm going to go fly, and then the last one goes out of the nest, and it's just like a nosedive right into the ground. If you haven't had those moments, we're gonna, we have them. But the good news is, is that God is there with us. He will be faithful when we're unfaithful. But He wants us to walk wisely. And He wants us to walk wisely, not just with a view of the next and first laps we have to take, but He wants us to run the race with our eyes on the finish line. He wants us from start to finish, wherever you're at in here, whatever season of your life, is to run your life with your eyes on the finish line, seeing Jesus with you along the way and the Father calling you into His presence. And the wisdom of the gospel is the only wisdom that can guide us and guard us so that we finish well. 
So what does this look like? What does it guard us from? The first thing I think, I was thinking, what, what are two things that re we really need to learn from this text and also two things that really coincide with the next season that, that Emma and Sierra have and for many of us, Melanie's right on the edge of this too. Those of us who are at midlife, two things. The first thing is we follow gospel wisdom to guard us from disillusionment. Disillusionment is this. I had an illusion of what I thought things were going to be, and then I hit reality, and I'm disillusioned, right? I'm kind of disoriented. So how are we led to guard ourselves against this through this text? Well, the first four verses is we do it by looking at death. Right? Nobody wants to talk about death, right? And if you're here this morning, oh, wow, real inspiring message, right? But, but right, it, it can be because it's, it's reality, Right, and so this is what, what God's word is saying here. He's not saying, you know, you just need to, you know, become Johnny Cash, dress in black, you know, and live all your life with your head hung down, you know, just in sadness. No, we're, we see in other places in Ecclesiastes where what Solomon, his main refrain is going to be, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? Fear God and enjoy life. So what he's saying here, though, is we need to do that in a way that doesn't destroy us in a way that actually isn't the foolish way of the world that just wants to numb their pain with feasting, that just wants to find some way to escape. No, the way of gospel wisdom is not escapism. It's finding a refuge in Jesus in the, in the real stuff of life. And there's nothing like death to remind us of the realities of sorrow, suffering in the world but also by listening to the wise in verses 5 and 6. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. We need voices in our life. One of the things that's been so encouraging about Sierra and Emma's time here and other people in, in, this, in this college age or younger is that they have there are many opportunities in this city for them to just go and be with other people their age. But they've leaned into this sort of intergenerational community that we have here. And they've said, we want to walk with you. We want to learn from those in different seasons of life. We want to open ourselves to be known, even though when we all open ourselves to be known, we open ourselves to correction. What fools do is they just say, I want to go find people who agree with me, who are going to just, just kind of rubber stamp whatever I'm doing and say, oh, let's not sweat that stuff. Let's just sing. You know, it's kind of like me, right? When my truck's making a sound, just turn the radio up, right? Just turn it up. Check engine light. Oh, I'll put a sweet picture of my kids in front of it. <laughs> That's called the way of a fool. But the way I deal with my car is the way many people deal with their lives. And we're like, hey, well, it's not broke down yet. But instead of bringing us freedom, what that escapism and that denial does is it, is it just fuels this inner anxiety. It doesn't set us free. It just enslaves us until we can't turn it up any louder. And before we know it, we're deaf. And we don't even realize it. And the fool then blames everybody else in the world. 
And they can't even hear the reality in their own lives. We also do this by letting the way of Christ set the standards in our life. Verses 7 through 9. Didn't read these earlier, but it says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. So there's just going to be this temptation to greed along the way. Verse 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. These temptations to patience, to impatience and pride. Verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say here is that the way of wisdom in this world guards us from these things that you're going to be very tempted to when you hit disillusionment. You're going to have the option, am I going to live a reactive life or a receptive life? By receptive, I don't, I don't mean that you say this is good when it's bad. I mean just like an acceptance, this is reality. For so many people, we live reactive lives. You know, we're like the kid who's throwing a tantrum. You know, like, I'm going to beat up my mom and he's two years old or my dad and just sitting there beating the knees, right? It's not doing any good. It's not helping anything. That's where we, what we do. It's like, okay, if life gives me this, it's just, I'm going to just go into greed. If life gives me this, impatience, right? I want it. I'm going to take control. If life gives me this, it's anger. Wisdom seeks to guard us from these things. Also by living in the now, verse 10 says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. A Wednesday night at family meal, told Jason and Melanie, seeing everybody together having fun. Sierra was talking with someone. Emma was playing with the kids. And I used another great uh, Michael Scott quote, right? I wish there was a way, or it might have been Andy, I wish there was a way to go into the future and tell yourself these, I'm not saying this quote right, these, these are the good old days. Because there's times in our lives where, you know, the Spirit just show, tells us, right, right now, I'm in the good old days. And we praise God for that. But there's a danger. Right? The world, the flesh, and the devil want to get us stuck in this nostalgia, glory day syndrome so that we're not able to love people in the present and live towards God in the future. Let's rejoice in the past, but let's trust God for the present. And also by loving wisdom. Verses 11 and 12, wisdom is, a good, is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So loving wisdom. Never, never feeling like I've arrived. Never feeling like if I have all these other things that Solomon's already tested, power, possessions, fame, a name, even a relationship, as good as they are, thinking that's what gives me my security. That's what provides for me. That's what protects me. See, in all these ways, the wisdom of the gospel seeks to guide us against a disillusionment that can hit hard and hurt bad. 
Home runs are awesome. Our boys both play baseball right now, and we've had the privilege to see some home runs hit. They don't get that from their dad. But they're not in there, and I, we talk about this, so I'm not talking behind their back. You know what there's been a lot more of than home runs? Strikeouts. A lot of strikeouts. Do you know it really stinks to watch your child strike out in front of everybody? I remember playing, right? It's a long walk back to that bench in front of everybody when you've just swung at a bad pitch or a good pitch or you just, if, if, or you just stood there, right? <laughs> and you're just like paralyzed. The reality is even in the Major League Baseball, a good batting average is 300. I mean, you hit 300 your whole career, you're probably Hall of Fame. That's three out of ten. So we've got, we've got sort of this option, you know, are we, are we going to just feel like life is only about enjoying the home runs or learning from the strikeouts too? Are we going to be able to live only in the home run seasons of our life or are we going to be able to live in the strikeout seasons? Can we walk back to the dugout with our head held high? We should want to avoid the strikeouts, but you're not going to be able to. I certainly can't. We're going to strike out. Those you love are going to strike out. Man, it hurts. Especially when you think, worked hard. I did everything my batting coach told me to do. I read all the books on hitting. I got on the best team. I sought the kingdom of Christ. But here I am on my way back to the bench. Some of you are going to feel like in some seasons of your life, I don't even feel like I'm going to be able to get off the bench. Coach is not even going to put me in the game. Here I am sitting with all these talents, with all these gifts, with all these experience, and with all these opportunities somewhere else. And I'm just sitting here. How do we keep going? Well, God is calling us to see that the disappointments in life, the detours in life, and even death at the end of life, all of these are made instruments in the Redeemer's hand. It's because you have a father who is watching you play. And when you strike out, he's not doing this. Who's, whose kid is that? You know? You have a father who is rejoicing over you because you're his child whom he loves. Home run or strike out? Strike out, his heart's breaking with you. Sitting in the dugout, not getting put in the game, he's with you. He feels it with you. He walks with you through it all. You're not alone. And he sent his son before you to know what it's like to go through that. 
If anybody could have been disillusioned, it was Jesus. But Jesus was protected from being disillusioned. You know why? Because he lived his life in the shadow of the cross. Things did not go Jesus' way from an earthly perspective. He's got bonehead disciples. He comes to his own people, they receive him not. Not only do they want to put him on the bench, not only do they not want him in the game, they kill him. They crucify him. And he walks this pathway before us, not just to show us the way, but to cover our own steps. Because you know what we do? We want to quit, don't we? And sometimes we do quit. We want to shake our fist at heaven. As one person said, maybe it was Minneapolis, 400,000 planes, something crazy like that, take off every day. And all, if all of them land, it may not be that many. I don't know. I'm a preacher, right? So you just like, it was maybe four and it became 400,000. Uh, ever how many it is, it's a bunch. They all land. Nobody says a word, right? No, thank you, God. If one of them crashes, what do we do? Shake our fist at heaven. Where is God? No, no, no thankfulness and gratefulness for all that landed. What Jesus is calling us to through this word, I believe, is to follow him and kind of a phrase someone else used, living life backwards. Not to let go of your ambitions and passions, but be prepared to let them be shaped by the Spirit in a healthy embrace of life in a fallen world. To go after your dreams, to go after your goals, but to submit those to the kingdom of Christ and to be wise and to say, if this is what it means to finish well, that I love people well, that I was kind, that I followed Jesus, that I was authentic, then guess what? I can do all those things while I'm on the bench. I can be the teammate who gets up, comes to the fence in the dugout, and cheers my teammates on and says, it may not be my time yet to get in the game, but until I do, I'm going to love people well. I'm going to honor Christ. I'm going to realize that I'm not alone, that He is with me. To realize I can face grief without fear. Because not only has Jesus defeated death, but he has borne my sin and my sorrow. You see, as you go on this journey and you fight to be this type of person who can play all these different seasons of strikeouts, bench, home runs well, is just get ready. You're going you're gonna to say, wow, I was a lot more selfish than I thought I was. Y'all are getting married, right? Marriage has a way of of bringing you great joy, but it's also going to bring some stuff out here you didn't know. And that's, that's normal. And when that happens to you, don't be disillusioned. Don't, don't just remember that this uh, bearded, gray-haired man said, oh, this is going to happen, so I don't have to freak out. I don't have to freak out. You don't. You're normal. And guess what? Jesus is waiting on you there. 
with grace, with covering for your sin. But then you can listen and learn from rebuke. You stay in community with other people like you have here. You resist the glory days mentality. You love the wisdom of God. And you follow the Spirit. Second thing you need to be protected from is very similar. And again, I'll be, I'll be fast with this. We won't read all these. It's not just this temptation to be disillusioned, but also to be guarded from just flat out confusion. Now, these things are similar, but they're distinct in a different way. Disillusionment can hit you. You can think, well, I didn't think this is how life was going to be, how marriage was going to be, how singleness was going to be, how my work or vocation was going to be, and it's disoriented. When I'm speaking about confusion, I'm speaking about when maybe you've lived, you, you keep hitting the disillusionment, and now all of a sudden you're just fundamentally confused about who God is, who you are, and why in the world life even matters at all. So the wisdom of the gospel wants to, to hold you there as well. In verses 13 through 15 we see this. We'll at least read this part. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doings. That's a tough reality. But that's the reason we have sayings like, the good die young. And country songs like, I'm going to live forever if the good die young. You're going to hit these walls to where you're going to be like, what in the world are you doing, God? Are you even there? Do you even exist? And if you do, are you just cruel? And again, I'm telling you, when you do, guess what? You're normal. So don't say, I better, man, I'm just fundamentally messed up. What is wrong with me? I'm doubting the goodness of God. No, you just need to go read the Psalms. That's what half of them are about. And then verses 16 through 19, we don't have time to read all this. Then avoid the extremes. So it's saying, this is about saying don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wicked. It's not saying don't try to be as, as close to Jesus as you can. It's saying there's usually when we hit these hard times in life, and you're just like really confused, is there's usually two trails people go on. There's the re rebellion trail where it says, I quit. If, if this is life, I quit. I quit the church. I quit God. I'm now going to move towards an agnosticism. Well, if there's a God, I don't know, or an atheism. There can't be a God, right? It's just survival of the fittest. I've seen it. That's how it is. The powerful win. The weak die. I'm going to go watch Netflix and eat ice cream. And so that's it. But overly righteous, this is the way a lot of other people go when they hit the wall in life. Religion. This one we don't talk about as much in the church. This is why most churches are, are dead and most Christians are repulsive to a lot of people. Not most, a lot. Is they say, wow, I can't understand life. 
I can't, I can't handle the mystery of who God is in his both his control and love, his goodness, his sovereignty, his permission, and his providence. I can't understand all that. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to become the most self-righteous son of a gun you've ever met. And I'm going to make a lot of rules. Life's not neat, so I'm going to make it neat. God and life aren't neat, so I'm going to make him neat. I'm going to come up with some really tight ideas and some really rules, and I'm going to say, everybody else, this is it. Get on my level, or you're getting, you're getting condemned. I just want to urge all of us. These are both two easy tracks, but the middle way is following Jesus. The middle way is this wisdom of the gospel we see in Ecclesiastes. Neither rebellion or religion will make it home, make get you to the end of your life where you finish well and people say, he loved God and he loved his neighbor. She loved God, she loved her neighbor. And the rest of this chapter just fleshes that out. We trust God in salvation, verse 20, in all seasons. Verses 21 and 22, we humbly give grace in dealing with others. Verses 23 through 24, we embrace mystery without giving up hope. And verses 25 through 29, we trust God's goodness in a world of foolishness. Where we hear the closing verse in this chapter, See this alone I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God is good. We are not. But Jesus is enough. Somebody said you could sum up the whole Bible. God made it. We broke it. Jesus fixed it. And the good news is, is he called us now to join in that restoration of the world. But we've got, we've got to keep our eyes on him because it gets confusing. Just imagine a group of travelers given a map by the master of the mountain. And then it gives you the greatest trail guide possible and the most inspiring destination imaginable. But somewhere along the way, the journey gets really hard. And you, as you go along the way, you start thinking, that looks like a much easier pathway. But I, why does the map say go this way? That looks faster. That looks easier. I see a swamp here. I see thorns here. I see shadows and darkness here. That looks like sunshine and flowers. The golden brick road. It seems the master's map was wrong. Or if it wasn't wrong, then he's watching and laughing as he sent us on a wild goose chase. It seems the trail guide is silent, pointless, or powerless. So many people on the journey begin to decide at different points whether they're going to chart their own path, rebellion, or they're just going to stop and debate the map and the master. The reality of the journey has evoked such confusion about the plan of the master and his guide and the heart of the master that the simple walk of faith becomes the most challenging and yet most essential call of all. To say, I don't understand this right now, but I trust you, Father. I'm going to keep walking. 
I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. I'm going to be not wise in my own eyes, but in every way let you direct my steps. That is so hard to do on Tuesday morning. It's a little easier to talk about right now. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust you. And why can I trust you? Because I know a father who would give his only precious son to live for me and to die for me and to rise for me is not messing around with my life right now. It's that everything might be confusing in my life. None of it may make sense. The wicked prosper. The righteous perish. My dreams die. But I look to the cross and I see a God on the darkest day in the history of the world when it looked like if any time He was not in control and if at any time He was not good was at work to bring about the greatest victory in the history of all the universe. If it ever looked like a dream died, Calvary looks like dreams are dead. Jesus' dream, the disciples' dream, the dreams of the world, it's dead. You are going to hit those times in your life where you think, what do I do now? I didn't sign up for this. And it's at that point that we remember that not only has Jesus died for us, but that he has risen from the dead. That our Savior is alive. And wherever our dreams may die, there are greater dreams that will arise. That God can even take the shattered pieces of those dreams and refashion something greater. A better dream. A better life. But we've got to trust Him. When confused on the journey, we've got to embrace the limitations of our control. Oh, that's so hard. There's just so much out of our control. And you can sit and be all those things we saw earlier, impatient, angry, proud, mad about it, and it don't change a thing except you. When confused on the journey, resist the temptation to those extremes. When confused on the journey, don't believe you're entitled Remember that you've been given an inheritance kept in heaven for you. When confused on the journey, don't turn on each other. We didn't, we didn't read, read that verse, but it says when somebody criticizes you, click back there, Chris. It's just too important. Verse 21, do not take to heart all the things people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. This is a hard one for me. Ask my wife. I'm a big baby. Right? Don't, don't take it too personal. And remember, yeah, I, I overheard them talking about me. I've I probably talked about some people before. In your marriages, as you enter into those, just get ready. It's kind of like having a brother or sister. They know where the wounds are, don't they? They know how to go. You're going to learn how to do that with each other. Just pray, God, give me a thick skin and a soft heart. 
and not thin skin and a hard heart. When confused on the journey, embrace the mystery. Know what is true and lean on that. Right? I know this is true. I might not logically be able to connect these dots, but I trust God's word. Remember who God is. We come to land this plane here. Our four questions. You get stuck? Disillusioned. Confused. Our four questions, right? These are not just for who is God right now. When I don't get what I want and when he doesn't give me what I've asked for, who is he? He's good. What has God done when it doesn't look like anything's happening in your life? Oh, he's done a lot for you, hasn't he? He's doing a lot for you. Who am I? Oh, you're going to wrestle with that the rest of your life. Who am I when I lose this job or don't get this job or don't get into this school or get into this school? Or who am I when I don't have these same people around me anymore? Who am I when everything changes? Who am I that cannot be changed? I'm in Christ. I'm a child of the Father. And what should I do? And now we're back to where we started. What does it look like for me to live into a life of gospel wisdom? loves God and loves others so that when I finish that's said of me and above all what will be said of me that we want to be said is not just what we did but just I want people to say they were in Jesus they were in Christ gospel wisdom guards us in a way that nothing else can disillusionment and confusion so Sierra and Emma live into that let's all live into that that message is more for me than for you I feel like God is with us